You're listening to Legends Cast, a proud member of the Camp Legend Podcasting Network. This episode is brought to you by listeners like you. To become a supporter of the show, visit patreon.com slash camplegend. Hello and welcome to Legends Cast Season 4, The Starter Set. I'm one of your hosts, Mark the Lit from outside of Pittsburgh, PA. And with me today, I have my legendary and ever faithful co-host, Dead Broke Nerd, and my catastrophically creative and eternally optimistic co-host, Gibbles and Bits, DBN. We're back for another week in the studio, and you're up this week, man. How you doing? Well, doing pretty good. Um, you know, I know we're going to jump right in um, and just immediately start uh, chatting Gwent. Um, but I got to be honest, man, it's uh, I just want to like extra say that, like, I've been loving getting back into Gwent. Um, yeah, like a lot, a lot. And I think that we will probably all have similar like feedback on this. But, um, you know, I'm it's just been so great to return to this game that I it used to be like my about to go to bed game, you know, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> and uh, and so I think it may end up in that that spot again. Um, I've also, I'm excited cause tonight I'm going to be going to the, uh, um, po- Pokemon TCG release event. Ooh. Now how uh, did the, the league night go expansion? last week? Cause you went literally like a week ago, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I went last week. It was super fun, man. Uh, very chill vibes. Um, you know, I, I went kind of expecting people to be playing a ton of meta stuff. And to my delight, uh, it was actually like, you know, there's a couple people with meta decks, but most, even those players were like, yeah, I'll play this other fun thing or and like good, but not necessarily like what you would see on TCG live where everybody's jamming the ladder, trying to get, you know, Mew Max and, you know, Chimpow, Vaxcalibur, like, you know, unlike, because like at League Night, it's not like you have a ladder at League sure, Night, kind of you know what I mean? What you want to play, like what so you, you do, enjoy. what you want to play. Yeah, yeah. So I played uh, several games. Uh, I lost uh, a little bit more than I won, but I did win several games, including I was able to get a win with a very meme uh, Iron Treads uh, deck, Iron Treads EX deck, which if if anyone's a Pokemon uh, you know, player knows that like that's not a very good card, but there is like some niche viability to it, and that like it's a hit and run attacker, right? Where it attacks for mid damage and then re- gets a free retreat to the to the bench. Mm. Um, and so then you get to put something that's not a two prize claim uh, up in the front. <laughs> um, and so I was able to get that rolling and and kind of beat a legitimately good player and a good deck, a, a better player than me in fact, uh, and uh, a good deck. So it was that was a fun, satisfying experience for me. And then, you know, what's cool is I think I mentioned this last time, but like, you know, it's not just that there's like, it's not just a bunch of, you know, guys sitting around like there's a lot of dads that are bringing their kids in. You know what I mean? And so like the dads are playing like on one side and there's a couple of the kids playing on the other side. And I played a couple of the kids as well, you know, but like it's a cool like um it feels it's it's like such a wholesome environment, you know what I yeah. mean? Um, so lots of fun. What I hear is that like at least for you, there's a pretty significant difference in terms of the gameplay experience for Pokemon from the online client to the local game store. Like yeah, the local game definitely. store is a richer and sort of much better exp- which I mean kind of like right, we're podcasting about digital card games have been for years. Mm-hmm. But it, it it's easy to forget, like, just how nice it is to go and sit with real people and bust yep. out your deck and 
mm-hmm. play a couple of games. Like we played uh, when I was in Africa, one of the guys that came with me was a backer for the relaunch of Keyforge. And mm-hmm. I had gotten a couple of decks uh, while I was in uh, Origins Game Fair and that were the, the new ones. And we sat down to play a game or two of Keyforge. And even that was just like, man, yeah, it's just really great to just sit across the table from somebody shuffle up your deck, cut the deck and draw yeah. some cards. Uh, I don't get to do that often enough. So I'm glad that you found like a yeah. group for Pokemon that you're enjoying that with. Yeah. And I'm really excited to report back on how the sort of release event uh, goes where it's going to be like a sort of like, it's not really a starter deck, but they have like basically like release event mini starters where like you get, you know, usually like a stage two Pokemon. Um, like I think that the guy I was talking to said that last time you'd get either like a Tinkaton or a Baxcalibur or something else that was like a, not like an EX card, like a super expensive rare card, but like a solid build around, you know, um, single prizer. And then you get three packs, you, you know, accent the little mini starter, however you want, add some lands and then, um not lands energies but they're the same thing and then uh and then and then um you know play a couple rounds in a round robin or swiss or whatever and then afterwards if you play all your rounds you get three more packs for participating oh that's cool so um i'm excited to to see how that like sort of semi not it's not draft but like a sealed format for pokemon works since i've always loved and honestly i've always been like a solid CCG player, but like Gibby probably remembers like, actually maybe he doesn't. Um, but, uh, cause I don't know if I played with him at that time, but like, I've always been a like top level, like draft and sealed player. Um, and like, I, so like I, like at the last versus system major that was, um, that I got to go to, which is up in DC when I was in college. Um, I played all through like the Swiss format, eight rounds. I went like six and two and I made like the cut of top eight with seven, but the top eight was draft and I smashed draft all the way to a first place uh, win. Uh, And so like draft and and sealed, I've always had a, a, like a soft spot uh, in my heart. So like, I'm excited to like, I always love those formats, no matter what the game is. And they're always different. And so there's always a different challenge and a different thing to master. So I'm I'm super amped to to see what it's like in Pokemon. I've heard the glorious tale of his first place finish <laughs> at the last official versus system tournament a couple different times, and yeah, I, it, I, it never it never seems to like every time we we talk about it. Like I think it's hard for if you've never competed, even if it's a local game tournament, yeah. if you've never competed in one regardless of the skill level of the players or like the size of the tournament, it's really, really impressive to walk away with first place. Yeah. And especially <laughs> when you've got across multiple different formats, like you said, they, they cut to the draft at the top eight and that wasn't the way that the, the, the Swiss was that's crazy. Cause that means that you are, you walked away as the most well-rounded player by far that day. Yeah, it it felt I mean it was good and I'd played versus system tournaments for like I don't know 7 years at that point and so being able to finally walk away with the first place at a at a big event which ended up being the last one that felt really good. But Gibby I I feel, you know, Gibby played in a bunch of LOR um or L5R, excuse me, tournaments. Um but they never they didn't have a draft mode for that. Unfortunately, they didn't have a uh 
a sealed format because it was a living yeah, card game. LCG, um, right, yeah. So it was never like a you even when you got to the cut, like it was never a um a change in format. So man, that would be so cool if it was. Wouldn't not that it? I ever made a not that I ever made a top eight in any of our tournaments because I was too busy like playing like slightly off meta decks, but well, I also just wasn't you that got... experience of a card player either. <laughs> well, we went to that elemental championship. You got screwed because we queued into each other first round. Like we literally go to this event. We Have drive like, like three players. or four hours. There's 30 plus players there. The winner gets a ticket to Gen Con. Uh, and Gibby had been prepping this like off meta, like super surprising deck. Nobody's playing it. Nobody's going to know what to expect. And first round, he gets paired with me, who knows what his testing expect. partner. The one who helped <laughs> who, me who, build <laughs> the deck and prep it. And so and, what is that? And, crap? If, and if you know anything about like, like, you know, in real life, tournaments you would know that like if you lose the first round you have you you have a chance to just never rally because you're not playing meta decks anymore like you're queuing into other people who lost the first round who are typically playing weirder stuff and so gibby's deck was so heavily tuned towards stomping key matchups yep (laughs) yeah it was it was a rough go, not to mention me <laughs> dropping all of my cards oh, yeah. before the matchup started. <laughs> Literally all of his like uh his binder of cards. Like and we're his talking box over just, a thousand just cards. Boom, spills all over the floor. Jeez. It was bad. Okay, talking let me continue the tragedy here with a newer tragedy. So I posted yesterday in the Discord on the general, like like the general and off topic channel. My wife and I have been doing a lot of home improvement stuff this mm. week, uh, this weekend, as we were preparing for our baby girl and in roughly eight weeks. So um really excited for that. We're doing a lot of nursery stuff. And I uh, we came across an old shelf that we had in our living room or in some various room in Delaware, our old house. And we we were like, let's put it up in your office and you can put some of your your nerd stuff on there. So we put this desk or this this shelf above my desk and I took a picture of it and I posted it in general and off topic uh, earlier to, you know, yesterday, earlier today, we're watching a couple dogs and one of these dogs bumped in They're small dogs, but they bumped into my chair and the chair bumped into my desk, which made enough of a vibration that my hand painted. And if you want to know what I'm talking about, you can go look at that picture and see it's right in the center of the shelf. My hand painted like clay ceramic um dragon yep. that is being like coiled around like a like a tower so very D esque falls off oh, of that no. shelf hits me in the shoulder and breaks no. on the floor in no. a million Dude, pieces that's and I, tragic. I i just was like I would text my wife immediately. And like, if you could cry through text, I was crying. It was, it was so sad, but there is, there is a silver lining at the end of the tunnel. And here's why, because this weekend, this past weekend, I did take a little bit of time and went out with Mackenzie and some of her coworkers and I painted a new piece. So maybe this is God telling me it's time to replace it. (laughs) And it's a very cool piece that I will be very excited to share in our discord when I get it back today. Cause it actually got fired yesterday okay. and we got notification of it and it got picked up i along with a couple other people we made ceramic bulbasaurs oh that's fun yo but that is they're sick. like they're they're like bulbasaurs that are like like maybe the size of your hand 
that have an opening on the top so there's no like bulb but you could put like a succulent in it like that's oh, the whole like point. a planter oh, that's cool yes yo that's but, sick but i had a better idea so me and the other two people that did bulbasaurs i pulled up a sheet that had various art of bulbasaurs that were other types so like so like electric and psychic oh and that's ground, cool. like rock so um somebody did an ice bulbasaur somebody did a psychic one and i did an electric bulbasaur. oh that's really cool so i'm gonna get like fairy lights to put in like the top of it or like a battery powered some sort of like luminescent to put in there instead of a succulent so it'll be like the electric it's like coming up out of its I did back a really, yeah that's super dope yeah so i did it but i did a different like painting style on it so when i get it back today i'll take a picture of it and i will post it in the discord freaking dope freaking dope well all this conversation about pokemon made me go look up the new pokemon card set that comes out here in a couple of weeks and it's getting me more and more excited uh about getting together with the two of you guys and uh and playing some pokemon together which we're certainly going to be doing uh Heck here yeah. in a couple of weeks we're gonna be putting some meta decks together and thank you to curry who actually sent us some like pretty inexpensive meta and off meta decks that we can actually get online buy all the cards for although i better get on that like this week because otherwise i'm not I'm not going to have the cards for it uh, and certainly going to go out with my daughter uh, like this week or so and, and pick up some cards. But my week uh, in gaming has been made up of watching videos about Baldur's Gate 3 because I'm very excited about that game to release uh, later this mm-hmm. week. It'll literally come out. So if you want to come and hang out with me, twitch.tv slash the lift this Friday from 9 a.m. until about 2 p.m. I'm going to be diving into Baldur's Gate 3 uh, like on my stream. So come out and hang out. Little shout out there. Um, but what I have been playing on stream and what we are going to be spending the majority of our time talking about the rest of our time talking about today is the card game Gwent, the Witcher card game. Now, if you're unfamiliar with Gwent, we announced last week that we're going to be covering that in the month of August. We are going to be doing a weekly show on Gwent. Really excited about that. But wanted to give you a little bit of background about Gwent. Um, we talked about this a little bit last week. So Gwent came out, I actually don't know when, but shortly after the Witcher 3 uh, video game came out. And in the Witcher 3 video game, you could play Gwent. Now, the majority of people who played the Witcher 3 played the one mandatory round of Gwent you had to play, was ticked off, they had to do that, and never returned to it. And if we got frank with you, like, I was one of those people. I had no idea what was going on. I'm sure I lost handedly inside of Witcher 3, and I didn't want to go back to it. But there were some people who found it and loved it. Like, like me, you, like who me. sunk hours and hours <laughs> and hours and hours into that while playing The Witcher 3, collecting all the cards and beating all of the NPCs inside the game. It became so popular that CD Projekt Red, evidently in some sort of collaboration with Good Old Games, um, came out with Gwent, The Witcher card game, which is its own standalone game and is a little bit different than what you would experience in The Witcher 3. Um, and we decided that we would go check it out. Now, The Witcher... Oh, Gwent, the Witcher card game, um, did get announced that it was going to be going into sort of like a maintenance mode at the end of this year. Um, but we wanted to, you know, check it out and see what content was there and what it was like, uh, especially because it has gotten permission to be released in China, which there's some sort of hope it may revitalize the game and cause it to come out of maintenance mode. Whether or not that will happen or not, we don't know. But the point is, they have committed to make continual up cha- uh, changes and updates um, and meta shifts uh in you know the years ahead they're not just you know saying hey we're going to keep the servers on for you they are actively still in 
I wouldn't say development because they're not going to be developing the game supposedly, but they are going to be active in maintaining the game and more than just leaving the servers on. Um, literally just looked at a conversation in our Discord where someone brought up, hey, have you guys considered going back to Tessel? Um, and that hasn't been on our list mostly because Tessel has been put in maintenance mode to the point that if we go back to it, we are going to experience the same thing t- yeah. today. Nothing will be different. That, yeah, we experienced in October of 2020 or 2019, which... Mm-hmm. wasn't a great experience then you know okay goblins and and invade that's what we're gonna be up against so you know okay i'm just gonna put it out there and i think i'm going to uh i think six summit is going to be mad at me for saying this but uh a lot of people i think remember the end of tessel as being like oh the meta's terrible but i i think uh i think that that was a overreaction i think the meta was actually quite good at the end of hmm. tessel i think invade had like invade was immediately like scary. Like it was like, oh, what the heck do we do? And then when you realize like invade has a formula to beat it, and if you follow the formula to beat invade, like you're fine. Um, I don't know. To be, to be uh, fair, they they also they also adjustment. like after they did make a final balance adjustment, and they also did a released all of the cards that they had had been designing for the next set, and they just said. And here you go. Here's a bunch of stuff. We're just dumping into the game. Just here you go. And then they did monthly. They did a monthly card for like a next year after that. So technically there would be a few new things. But, um, you know, going back to Tesla is an interesting concept. I think it would never be something we'd have a month worth of content, though. Um, but maybe a, a standalone like a episode, episode where you and I go look at it or something. Maybe yeah, like a special episode um, where we but, went back and played for a couple of days and then talked about it. Sure. But I just want to say on the context of Gwent. What's cool here is that they're really trying to do a different type of quote unquote maintenance mode, which is to me a big indicator that the door is not completely shut, right? Because they're going to be continuing to do balance adjustments and not just balance adjustments, but like community voting on reworks of cards and on, you know, changing of provision costs, which is something that is that we're going to need to really talk about. And like, it's something that I think is the most brilliant part of this game that I don't even think you guys have probably delved too deep into yet um, because it's a more advanced deck building thing, but it's what allows the Gwent devs to very easily, very quickly and without too much coding um, completely change everything about the balance of this game at the drop of the hat. If I'm honest, I don't even understand the provision system. I, so I'm just not that deep into deck I building. I have gotten it. around to making my first deck, and I have had enough cards that I met, like, 25 cards with zero provisions provisions left to spend. Like, I got it where I, like, maxed out my provisions at the least amount of cards possible. So, like, I, I got that far, and I understand, I now understand a, a lot more of it as I've looked at crafting cards and seen what cards can be put in and um, have unlocked some new stuff and uh, build up some resources. All of that stuff to say, today we're talking about Gwent, and we're going to dive into it right now. So what I'd love to do is, me and Gibby are brand new to the game. We've never played it before. We booted up for the first time this week. DBN is a returning player, had played it a good bit uh, on and off kind of like you said, is, you know, going to bed game uh, and is coming back to the game. Um, But I would love to hear, I'm going to have Gibby go first and then myself kind of share our first reactions to Gwent, what we thought about it overall this week. And then we're going to talk about the various factions in the game and a little bit of advice 
uh, if you're downloading it and playing it for the first time. We're going to allow DBN, of course, also to talk about coming back to the game and what that experience has been like for him. Uh, Gibby, you're up first, though, man. Tell us about your experience and when and what you have thought about it, you know, highs, lows, uh, you know, since you started playing this week. Yeah, I won't dive too deep until we get kind of get through our initial uh, reactions here. I won't get too deep into like any like mechanics or things like that. Um, first, I also love the thought of just DBN going. I only played this game at night night, like and then just like <laughs> playing a two games of this and then just falling asleep because this is <laughs> I, I feel like this is not a game I would expect to be a nighttime game because it is rather i mean it's it's got a timer to it right yeah. and it is to me rather mentally involved it so. is super mentally involved this is not so like i'm surprised game. that this is a sleep a go to sleep game for you but <laughs> i don't know i, guess I can't i can't i have no excuses i don't know it just i was. guess when you've got the brain power of jimmy neutron then i guess this can be brain this blast. can be a, yeah when this this can be a nighttime game for you when you're going to sleep so uh but yeah my first experience is getting into gwen only a couple of days ago uh, was really positive. Uh, uh, spoiler alert or PSA: If you're going to go through the tutorial, prepare for some language in one of the cards that you initially come across like because I wasn't prepared one. for that. Like yeah. the first card you come across, and I was like, "Is the rest of the game going to be like this?" And from it's not. so far, it's from a, what I can tell, it's, it's a joke not. card from the. It's uh, a joke card, and there's the, some language to it. The Witcher so if you've Three. Got any, if you if you start the game, just understand. Don't have your children around during the tutorial, but they can watch the rest of the things because it's or if it's you have very... a or if you have a quote unquote family friendly stream, uh, that would be me. Know, like, yeah, like Mark really does. Me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> no, but the, they dive you right into tutorials and I felt like the tutorials were very helpful. Uh, you do have to they, they teach you how to walk and you have to learn how to run on your own. This is which is very fair like this. They definitely don't hold your hand through a whole lot of things. Um, I think the biggest thing, and I don't know what platforms all Gwent is on, um, but I've been playing it on mobile, which a shout out to, I think it was, maybe it was Six Summon or maybe it was Jeff. Somebody a while ago when we announced that we were doing Gwent was like, perfect, finally a game I can follow along with because it's released on iOS. And I was like, I didn't mm-hmm. know that. I would have never it's thought to most, look. I think it's even on Switch. I could be off, oh, wow. but I think that it connects on Switch um, too. But it, the best way to play is the mobile app or desktop. Um, and it's on all platforms and stuff like that you can get it on yep. steam you don't you get it on steam or directly through the cd project red weird launcher which that's going out of style but <laughs> anyways yeah yeah so i opened up the game once you get to like the main lobby and i'll be honest i was a little i was a little overwhelmed there's a lot on the page and not a whole lot of explanation out the gate of like navigating it or like what you're looking into but I think they definitely really encouraged you. And this is the way I like to dive into games anyway, which is um, here, pick a, pick a starter deck and then play, just play some games, play some standard games and just get used to the, like the normal version of this game before you start diverting into other places. You'll naturally, as you start getting into some of the, the free content that they give you up front as a new player, you'll end up navigating your way into different menus and then you can get curious and you can figure out what you're looking at. And, and I liked that, that they tried to steer me into a very narrow direction of play games and get a couple games under your belt before you start trying to like push buttons and Ooh, what does this resource do? And you end up doing something that you might regret mm-hmm. later. Um, and after you play a couple games then they give you 
a starter deck for all of the factions. And I thought that was awesome because it, one of the best parts is being able to explore the different varieties and the different feels of the different factions and in game, which you've just focused on figuring out how to play the game. And now you've got the option to play the game in a bunch of different ways with these not insignificant starter decks. So I, I really liked that so far, my experience getting into the game, at least for the first couple of days, I'll cap, I'll kind of cap this and, and throw it over to Mark has been pretty positive and it's been very much gameplay focused. And I, and I like that. So Mark, have you had similar experiences? Have you been um, kind of kind of narrowing your focus as you get into Gwent or have you did, did you take a shotgun uh, approach kind of contrary to me and really explore the menus first? Uh, I mean, I felt like I got, I got on this thing on stream and honestly, I really did just sort of dive into it. Um, I started learning how to play the game and, uh, played through the tutorial, thought the tutorial was done really, really well. Um, I'll be honest with you. This game has been really, really good for me. Um, I have loved this game pretty much since it started out. I think thematically, I really like the Witcher world. Um, I sort of like sort of like the dark fantasy, you know, some of the mysterious undertone stuff that comes with the Witcher world. And I and so for me, like that has been, I think, one of the highlights of the game. It's just like, man, I love the artwork. I love the direction of the artwork in the game. Um, I have loved like all of those elements has been really, really cool. And it has reminded me a lot of Tesla, which DBN told me it would in terms of it has a little bit more seriousness to it than, uh, you know, what a lot of, um, other card games that have come out and that we've played have had. And I think there's been a certain amount of seriousness to things like inscription, but even that this is like more realism seriousness. And I've really enjoyed that about the game. It has fascinated me with the Witcher world. Like recently I played the Witcher old world board game. And so that has really fascinated me with the Witcher world. I played the Witcher games, you know, a long time ago uh, at this point, Witcher three is the only game that I played in the series. And that was, that was a hot second ago. And so for me, coming back to it, I actually went to my buddy who owns all of the Witcher books. I enjoyed this game so much. I in, I borrowed the first book from the Witcher series from him, and I'm reading it right now. Um, just because I was like, man, you know what? I really, really, really like this world. I'm really enjoying this. Um, I think I want to keep checking this out. I think I want to learn more about it. And so uh, I think... The gameplay tickles my brain in just the right way in this card game. I thought at first that it was going to have a sort of like a really older style of, um, I don't know if gameplay is the right, like the older style of like collecting cards that we saw in like Hearthstone. Right? I said it felt really dated. We saw that in Duelist 2. It's like, man, Duelist 2 is a cool game. But yeah, Duelist 2 feels really dated um, in terms of like the ways that you actually collected cards throughout the game. And I was worried that this was going to have the same feel. But by day two of playing this game and streaming it, they opened up a world of sort of like freely accessible content to me that I didn't expect them to open up that I was like, oh, okay. No, this game is not like at, like trying to get at my money as badly as I had expected it to. Um, I actually feel like I can build a collection pretty competently here. Um, and it's not like super hard for me to do so. And so I think that part of the game has been honestly really refreshing and really nice. 
Um, it's like, I don't know. It's weird. It's like a card game that feels like it's from an era of past digital card games, but it doesn't have as sort of, I feeling like malicious of a monetary system as previous older card games had the luxury and the ability to have. And so for that, I've really enjoyed it because of that. Um, I've really enjoyed the gameplay of it. Um, I've enjoyed mm-hmm. the deck building of for it. Sure. Holy crap. I found a fun faction and I'm just sort of obsessed with the faction and have really been enjoying the faction. So yeah, overall has been really great as an experience. I felt like there was enough handholding in the, in the initial thing that I understood the basics of the game, but it's hard to say, cause when I stream it, I'm getting help. Right. So like I had people who were in my stream, both days that I streamed it, they were basically saying like, Hey, you want to do this or you don't want to do that. And I think that helped a decent amount. Like I, I had a pretty good idea about There's what a to lot. do and not to do. Gwent, Gwent has a lot to it at this point, right? Like the game's been around for a while. I'll say that one of the best things about Gwent was always the fact that the devs were very actively involved, mm. very communicative. They weren't Love afraid that. to make sweeping changes, which sometimes pissed people off, right? But they made a lot of changes across the course of the game. Obviously, when the rewards books uh, you know, were coming out um, as additional ways to get people to be able to grind the game to build a collection as opposed to like, you know, paying in like Hearthstone was doing, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, when Gwent uh, decided like, hey, let's start changing the ways that you open kegs instead of only having kegs, uh, which are packs, um, but instead of only having kegs for the individual sets, let's make kegs for the individual factions too so if you only care about amazing the fact yeah and it allows people to focus their collection building at a pace and and if you just care about getting um the the uh, a one or two strong decks as fast as possible then you can focus your attention into the factions if you you know um if you really just want to explore everything in the game you can buy based on the packs um, you can even for the long time returning players buy premium kegs that are like all, you know, think like uh golden hearthstone cards or, or whatever. And they're premium cards, which by the way, guys, the premium cards, I, have you guys pulled any yet? I have a because really they are cool fully one. animated. I have a couple. Uh, yeah. Oh no, I haven't pulled any fully animated cards yet. No. Yeah. They're very cool. I have this um, uh, Svalblad or something. It's this giant like bear abomination with one human hand and a sword and multiple bear faces um, that's animated. And it is awesome. Big fan of it. Oh, that's a very good one to get uh, the premium version of. Can I just say the bear? I love the uh, the Skellige, um the the beast bear uh, werewolf people. Very fun. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um. So, yeah, there's a but but here's the thing. I'll say this um, at this point in the game. So Gwent never had a rotation. OK, uh, to my knowledge. So, like, there's so much content. To, like, work through and to figure and like each faction has like a dozen or more ways to play like it. archetypes and ways to play them. Right. And I love that. And so, you know, and and, and a lot of I think. I would be interested to know for people that were seriously deep in the competitive scene, which I never got, I would watch tournaments, but I never tried to play any tournaments myself. Um, I would be keen to know if they felt that there should or should not be a rotation. Because one of the things that I always felt like is that Gwent was one of the games that didn't need a rotation. Because unlike games like Hearthstone, where you could theoretically jam 
over half your deck full of legendaries if you wanted to. Mm -hmm. And if the card pool was big enough to support it, um, Gwent's uh, deck building system, and I think we should just quickly preview it, is is called Provision. It's a provision system where if you've ever played, uh, and I, I could be wrong on this, but I'm pretty sure like games like X-Wings and Warhammer and those sort of tabletop um, war games, typically you have a, a army buy system where like you have a certain number of points uh, to spend on different units to construct your army. So if you you know, want to get a huge, ginormous Star Destroyer, it probably takes up a lot of your, I don't know, I've never played X-Wings, but I'm just guessing, probably takes up a lot of your resources, and then you have to backfill with a ton of, you know, crappy things. Or you can take a more balanced approach and get, um, you know, a few, you know, a few mid-sized, um, you know, units, and then, you know, fill in with a couple of things here and there. And that's basically the approach that deck building takes. You have to have... Mm-hmm at least 25 cards in your deck you have t- only two types of rarity you have bronze and gold mm-hmm. uh, at least as in terms of like the, the type of cards obviously there's a little bit of nuance in there where you have commons rares epics and legendaries in terms of like crafting but when it comes to like uh bronzes you can run up you can run two copies of a bronze and one copy of a gold yep that's it mm-hmm. right and so and the golds are gold just legendary always they can be there's epics that are gold epics or legendaries, and legendaries that are gold which the important part gotcha. is there's like the legendaries are the really expensive ones to craft, but the epics, yeah. it also limits how much very investment good. there is in your deck because all of the epics are gold well. So you only have one copy of each mm-hmm. epic and they're only 200 of the scraps or whatever to be able to craft. Yeah. And so what that means is like, because uh, you obviously have these rarities, but the rarities and the amount of copies that you can run your deck are, are mitigated by another system called provisions where each unit each each card no matter the rarity no matter whether it's a bronze or gold has a provision cost Mm -hmm. and it ranges from a minimum of four all the way up to i think the max is like 15 um or 14 and what that does is your deck has a base number of provisions i want to say it starts at like 150 or 160 and then the leader ability every faction once you pick your faction every faction has seven leader abilities which are basically think like hero powers and hearthstone that you can but adds that extra layer of yeah but but better and cooler cooler. adds an extra layer way cooler of modular deck building to it um it's if anyone ever played um you know legend of the five rings that was like strongholds for legend of the five Mm -hmm. rings Mm -hmm. um and these leader abilities are extremely powerful and and often synergize specifically with certain things you might be doing in your in your deck archetype and so what happens is but one of the things that goes along with this is that these leader abilities have additional provisions that they will add or not add and so most like i'm looking at monsters right now all of the monster uh provision counts are at 15 that seems to be the base uh, except for one of them which has a very uh strong ability that you could use every single turn and so that one only gives you 12 provisions to work with um and so uh there's that extra little bit of modularity where if you can play a weaker leader ability and get more deck building cards and so all of these cards you might have something that you really want like the svalblad right so if i'm going to go into the search bar and you know type in svalblad let me see make sure i have a big bear he has 13 provisions Uh, himself so 13 provisions right but if i'm looking in my monsters deck and i'm like wow i just put this big 13 provision 
you know, or this 12 uh, provision Oberon King, the elf, the king of the wild hunt, right? Okay, well, crap, I don't have as much room. So I might need to go all the way down to the bottom and see, okay, I can get a drowner. These little dumb looking goblins that come out of the swamps, right? And they're pretty weak and they're not very good, uh, but they are only for provision costs. So what it means is, unlike in Hearthstone, where you had all this pack filler and cards that were, uh, you know, crappy, low cost, uh, you know, commons that just can't compete with anything else. There is no card in here that is completely without use for the most part, or at least the intention is no card is completely without use, because when you're looking to backfill a couple, you know, four provision bronzes. You need to be able to ha- look through and see what of these weak cards works with my archetype the best um, or what gives me flexibility where I, I need it and what synergizes. And so um, there's so much to unpack there. But the point is, is that you can't just jam the deck full of legendaries, because if you do, you won't be able to meet your deck building restrictions because you'll run out of provisions 13 cards in. Yep. And you need to have a certain you have 25 cards. You need to have a certain amount of units. Um and it really does, you're right, DBN, sort of limit. And I didn't think it would at first, because at first I didn't own mm-hmm. a lot of legendaries. It was like, okay, I slapped in my legendaries, filled out my deck on day one. Well, it was actually the beginning of day two. And I was like, okay, great. Um, I still have yeah. like 60 provisions left to use. So what is the point? Um, and then what mm-hmm. ended up happening was I sort of got through that initial sort of like reward pass or Skellige that gave me some legendaries. Yeah. And then I had like 25 or so uh, uh, keys to go into the next one. I found a Skellige one on another one. I unlocked, I think I unlocked like 13 to 15 Skellige kegs that day. Um, and just, mm-hmm. and I now have every Skellige, I have two of every Skellige card except for all of the epics and legendaries, right? So now- Yeah, you've got all of the gold I, card or the I've bronzes. I've literally played for like four days. I have every bronze card and I have two of every bronze card that are rare and then, or lower. I don't know if there's lower than rare. And then I have most of the epics. I'm, on, common, I'm only missing yeah. a handful of epics mm-hmm. and I, I'm missing a lot of legendaries, but all of the mm-hmm. legendaries in this game are very sort of like niche to a specific strategy. Yeah. So you're like, okay, if I want to play the graveyard strategy, I'm going to need these three legendaries. If I want to play the rain and storm strategy, I'm going to need these three legendaries. And so I was like, okay, mm-hmm. well, I kind of want to play bears and I kind of want to play graveyard. So I'm going to go get bears and graveyard cards. And I'm missing a couple, but I'm already sitting on 2,100 uh, scraps that I could craft yep. a couple of legendaries with. And I don't really feel the need to yet. I'm actually, after a, less than a week of playing, kind of feeling like, man, I'm actually almost ready to explore another faction because I feel like I actually have a mm-hmm. pretty decent chunk of Skellige cards already. Well, and it, and I, one thing, Gibby, I know you're about to say something. I just want to chime in one thing on the kegs is when you open a keg, you get four cards that are random, but you get one card in the middle that you open it up and you get three choices and you get to choose. And that's huge for helping fill out gaps in your collection. And if it offers you like, okay, here's an epic, which of these three epics do you want? You make sure you're not getting one that you that isn't going to support what you're doing. And if you're opening faction kegs, it's even better because you'll open up three Skellige cards and you'll see, okay, here's a storm one. Here's a berserker one. And Oh, look, it's a bear Epic. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to get the bear. Epic. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's just like super, super, um, you know, helpful and, and new player friendly when it comes to getting your collection going it. I will say it is like, you have to play to earn it. 
It doesn't hand everything to you for free. No. You have to play. But like, it's a perfect balance of it because as you're playing, you feel like you are getting rewarded, win or lose. Yep, agreed. Might I say one of my favorite parts of the new player experience has been reading through all of the different keywords and like card types that are in the game. And there are definitely something that that DBN, uh, I think he mentioned this when he gave kind of a brief excitement overview on our last episode was one of the best parts. And I understand why on Gwent now that he was talking about is there is a clear faction identity within each mm-hmm. of them. And it is, it is evident, but it is, there's, there's such a wide variety mm-hmm. of, of different keywords that you can see as themes throughout. And, and it's not just like, so on the nose, it's not like, okay, the, the theme of this is this keyword. The theme is a type of unit because there are tribal tags and things like that, that have quite a big variety. And the keywords play off of tribal tags. It's not necessarily, it doesn't feel at least so far from some of the decks that I've played against, also the decks that I've, the cards I started to see. It's not just, okay, because this card has this tribal tag or because this card mentions this keyword, it automatically fits in this deck type. You end up splashing and utilizing so many of the different keywords in the same deck or so many of the different tribal tags uh, to help, I don't know, bolster abilities that even if they, don't necessarily match in, in specifics. They still work really well and synergize together with a deck. So it, the, the deck building possibilities feel quite vast, mm-hmm. even within a, a specific faction. And I, it, it makes me really excited for that because that's what I felt Legends of Runeterra had as a strength at one point was being mm-hmm. able to go through and you could you can make quite a variety of decks that worked until things got a bit too narrow and been a bit too on the nose where you were like, okay, well, I'm if I, if I don't want to play a suboptimal deck, I'm pigeon held into running these 25 cards. It feels like I'm going to run into that. Place. I 100% agree. And we're going to get into faction stuff here in just a moment. But I think that this game, uh, in comparison to a game like we just played, Hearthstone, where it felt like a lot of your identity as a class was sort of muddied because so many classes could do the same things. And then on top of that, so much of your deck was made up of commons or not commons like neutrals um the deck that i'm playing has no neutrals in it and that doesn't feel like i'm being diminished at all it actually feels like most decks play with very little to no neutrals in them um and i think that that is something that's unique about this and has allowed gwent to keep an insane faction identity and they're not mixing, right? When you play Syndicate, which we'll talk about, they're getting coins. Well, me as Skellige, I'm never getting coins. There's no cards I'm playing that are giving me coins, right? It's a completely different mechanic. And it's actually to the point where some of the ones that I wouldn't run up against normally, some of the factions that are a little bit harder to pilot that I didn't run up against a lot, I would actually get into and I'd be like, oh my gosh, I have so much reading to do. Because I literally, like, they're playing a different game than me sometimes, it feels. Yeah. <clears throat> the, I, I'll say this. I don't find this to be a problem because I'm already in the game and I like it and I don't mind reading the card effects. But I will say, if you're somebody that doesn't want to read cards and you want things to be simple and straightforward and uncomplicated, it's not the game for you. This is a tough, complicated game. Now, I think the starter decks do a good job of introducing concepts to you at a pace that's not overwhelming. But once you get into it, you're going to have to like, there's a lot of keywords at this point in the game. There's a lot of, um, you know, uh, card techs that have complicated because a big part of Gwent, and we are not going to go into Gwent's strategy today. 
We're going to get into that in a future episode. But a big part of it as a preview is like manipulating your small deck to increase consistency of the different combo pieces or interactions that you want to play at different stages of the game. Gibby and I were sort of hanging out chatting while I was playing and he was playing at the same time. And I'm, you know, and he's playing a, a more streamlined deck than I am. And I'm playing a blinged out monsters deck with all these different interactions. And I made like three or four mistakes in that span just because my attention was split. And I'm trying to get caught back up on some of the nuance of these card effects, especially ones that have been changed or, or reworded or reworked in the span that I've been gone. So, you know, you may get in and feel like, wow, oh my God, there's so many keywords. How do I keep track of this? And and admittedly, it's it can be a challenge. Now, if you're playing on desktop, the best thing you can do, especially when you start the game and before you get into a match, but even if you're in a match and you're like, I need to understand what these mean, right click on a card or I don't know what it is on mobile. Is it just pr- click on the card itself uh, or, or click and hold or something? And it'll pull up a tool For- tab. Yeah. Yes, it's it is it is yeah, it, it's hold on to it. Like you have to press down a couple seconds. And it'll pull up a tool tab and explain every single keyword that's relevant to that card. And take the time to do it. Um because it's really um sort of a a a a part of Gwent that is I think rewarding once you're in it, but it can be a, a little overwhelming when you start. So take your time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know totally agree. Well, let's talk factions in the last I don't know 15 or 20 minutes here of the episode. Let's chat. There are, I don't know what, six factions, five factions in the game, six, uh, six factions in the game. We're going to touch on them. DBN is going to do most of the touching on them to give you a rough overview. But I think that in this game in particular, out of all of the ones that we played this year, the factions are so important because you can follow reward paths for the factions. You can get card mm-hmm. packs that are specifically only give you cards in those factions. And faction identity is so strong in this game that you really should pick one and focus on one. I actually went in and under the guidance of my chat, uh, literally dusted every card that I had of everything but two factions, my primary faction and a secondary faction. And I think DBN, you recommended that for me as well, especially because I'm paying, playing this. Well, I wouldn't necessarily say to dust all of it, but well, I didn't dust uh, you all know, of it honestly, because they force you to keep the <laughs> stuff that are in the starter decks. So you have to keep the starter decks. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I dusted a lot of other stuff so I could make Skeleton. I think that's a good ones. way to get... I think that's a good way to get to a um, strong deck fastest uh, for sure. So um, it's, it's a strategy, Um, but, but, but focusing on one or two factions is absolutely what I would recommend, whether you're dusting other things or not, Uh, because Mm -hmm. the reality is um, there's just so much to explore. Honestly, and and I I mean this seriously, it's not hyperbole just because I like the game, but if monsters was the only faction in the game, you would still have so many decks that you could experiment with. And that goes for every single faction. Um, And so like every faction has a number of different archetypes and styles and decks more so than any other game would in their first couple expansions. So like, you know, there's plenty to explore um, even if you do, uh, even if you do that. So yeah, I, I, there's, there's a lot to go through. And one other thing that I will probably I just want to quickly, because I previewed a lot of these starter decks, um, I just wanted to point out, I was looking at each of the starter decks, and I was kind of trying to identify which one I thought uh, was the best starter deck. Mm. Um, <laughs> uh, just for just for new players, if you're looking for a great place to start, I think Nilfgaard, and we're going to preview these, has a fantastic starter deck uh, with some very, very good... Um, some very, very good legendaries and, and epics that they give you for free. 
I also think Syndicate has a very solid starter deck that may in fact be one of the easier uh, I don't want to say necessarily easier to play but like it has a very straightforward strategy it's just swarming the board um, and so it's uh, you have to learn the the coin system but you get some very good um, legendaries and epics in it for free and so I think Syndicate and Nilfgaard feel very good I, I definitely think Monsters is a loser uh when it comes and and that's as me as like a monster player like mm. predominantly i think monster has maybe the worst starter deck mm. um so uh just keep that in mind as you as you play through sure well why don't we start by talking through some of the factions and give an overview why don't we start with monsters and dbn i mean this is the one that you have the most time in uh give us a quick overview of monsters and then we'll we'll move on yeah, uh, so Monsters is pretty obvious in terms of theme, like what it's what it sounds like, right? So if you've seen any of The Witcher, uh, you know, the show or played the game, The Witcher 3, like that's mostly what you do is fight and kill and research all the different weird uh, creatures and fairy tale, uh, Scandinavian fairy tale monsters that, uh, um, you know, that pop up. Um, it's a faction that is like typically like from a theme perspective you know pretty gross uh card art and stuff like that so if you've got a sensitive you know stomach or you know kids are often looking behind your shoulder i wouldn't recommend playing it uh just from that perspective but uh from a mechanics perspective it's incredibly diverse we're talking you've got vampires ogres witches giant spiders man-eating plants all sorts of weird stuff you've never heard of it's very very cool from a mechanics perspective it's often known as the point slam faction and that has to do with how you sort of contest the board and in Gwent you basically have like two rows um and uh you put cards on one of those two rows and each card has a certain power and at the end of a round when either both players uh pass or everyone runs out of cards whoever has the most power in the two lanes combined uh wins the game and so monsters is all about having you know the biggest most powerful things on the board at a time and a lot of their keywords and stuff orient around you know dominance where i have the highest you know point unit in the game right now so i get an extra effect or um you know uh, uh might where if each lane has a 10 power unit you get an extra effect or sabbath where if one lane has 25 points or more you get an extra effect um and so there's a lot of things that have to do with having the biggest beefiest boys uh in the game or, you know, effects where, like, you get a bunch of little tiny minions out and they grow under leadership. It's an effect called Thrive, where, like, when you play something that's higher than a card with Thrive, it grows a point. And so, like, there's a lot of point, you know, growing, a lot of slamming big points in one go. Um, and it's, I, I would argue that it's probably one of the simpler, um, you know, some of the, some of the uh, cards are a little bit easier to read there's less you know complex effects but the nuance is everything to do uh with the uh manipulation of the rounds because you can drop so many points all in one card there's a lot of nuance when it comes to um you know playing in shorter rounds um and so you have three rounds and each round you at, at the start of the game you'll have 10 cards in your hand right and if you play all the way down uh to zero cards and everybody runs out of cards and each of the next rounds you'll you'll always just draw three more cards. Mm -hmm. So what's unique about monsters and what's the, ch the 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 challenge and if you're playing against monsters you got to look out for it 
Uh, Monsters has the best short rounds or some of the best short rounds in the game. And so if you by short rounds, I mean less cards in your hand. So if you go all the way down to zero cards in round one, win or lose, in round two, Monsters is going to be able to just drop a ton of points with very little combos needed. So what that might mean is, let's say you uh, you lose round one. Well, Monsters is going to say, I don't need to wait till round three and refill my hand. I'm going to pressure you right now because I got all these big guys. So when you're playing against Monsters, you always want to be aware, like this class can pressure you in every single round and they don't need a ton of cards to do it. And that's one of the things that it's a very aggressive mindset. And that's why I like it so much. So they do have some control tools. They're typically not as strong as some of the other factions. Um, and they're often like not as much like sh- turning off your cards as they are damaging or destroying. Um, and so um, I think that's probably the, uh, you know, the, the good summary on monsters. The skill, again, it comes from the ability to bait opponents into passing early or staying in rounds way too long. Um, yeah. So I think that there's a lot of sort of macro play involved in it and a little less micro play. So if you're a little bit worried about all the keywords and everything in the game, monsters might be a good faction for you. And in the next two episodes, we're going to get a little bit more into game. It's impossible to talk about the gameplay without talking about the strategy of card advantage and board manipulation and passing or staying between rounds. Um, So if you're kind of confused by that, just know this is not a game where you're going to be putting stuff on the board and knocking down your opponent's health pool. You're going to try to win two out of three rounds, just basically putting the biggest amount of points on the board, two out of the three rounds at the end of the third end of those rounds. You've you've won more than one um, round and we'll get into the strategy of that later. But if you're thinking, I don't understand how this lines up like Hearthstone or Runeterra or any of the games that I've played. It's much more like Marvel Snap. Yeah, it has it has a little bit more of a snap vibe to it in terms of you're not trying to knock your opponent out like you would in Magic Gathering. You're trying to have the most points on the board. Let's go to the next faction, which is kind of a little bit of a combo faction. And this is the one I played against the most. And uh, Gibby's going to talk about it. Gibby, tell us about Northern Realms. Yes, Northern Realms. Imagine that you've taken the entire realm of Game of Thrones and thrown it into one faction. (laughs) It is very much militia based it's war based it's a lot of conflict and they're described in the description of the faction as all a bunch of different types of people walks of life that come from different areas of the realm that is constantly changing because they're constantly invading each other's borders and Mm -hmm. it's never being able to be pinned down but if they ever had to align via common enemy to, to to take on a common enemy they are very formidable um, and then they go right back to butting heads and trying to destroy each other. So it is very much a militia. It's very Game of Thronesy. That's a fantastic yes. uh, analogy. <laughs> it's like if you took the entire well, like, like it's like Game it's Westeros, right? Because you've got yeah, it's Westeros. It's all of Westeros, and the, and all the clans are fighting, and all the families are fighting. But then you when the Dothraki the invade or the White Walkers like, show up, all right. they're like, all right, let's let's shake hands and and make peace, and then go kill them. <laughs> yeah. So um, from specifically to Gwent, the way that that translates into um, Northern Realms translates into Gwen is it is very much feels like kind of like a mid range uh, faction. And we talked about, or Mark just mentioned that it is combo combo intensive in it's not so much about um, keywords as much as it is about sheer units on the board. Uh, Northern Realms really benefits a lot of the abilities that you have, especially when you look at the starter deck, because that's what you will, will get into first. A lot of the units make the other units next to them or other units that you have in different lanes stronger. They have there there seems to be a balance between being able to do some damage to when you need to, 
to your opponent's units, but is mostly about being able to bolster the units that you have on your side of the board to create these insane totals in rounds that that can inflate. So um, from my experience so far playing Northern Realms, and I'm sure DBN will have might might have additional context to be able to add to this, but Northern Realms really excels in longer rounds, being able to go and put a quite a few cards on board and capitalize on that and winning high total rounds that start to inflate into the 30s and 40s when you look at how many points you and your opponent have on either side of the board. They will they may win by a small margin or a blowout, but it is good to have you you'll need quite a few cards on board because you will need units to be able to buff next to you they don't single units don't tend to uh do a whole lot by themselves a lot of the um leader abilities that you have in there as well will also provide you shields or armor or or additional boosts to to your cards to start inflating those totals if you ever don't have enough units that's where your your leader ability can really kind of help almost as another unit to give you uh, a bolster. So uh, Northern Realms really likes to have a card advantage, really likes to go into the later rounds, and it doesn't like to play short. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to, you know, thumbs up on Gibby's description. Traditionally, and there's obviously with these factions are fleshed out enough that there are there are exceptions to the rules, sure. right? So there are some, you know, monster decks that want to not play aggressive, but by and large, they have these, you know, overarching themes. The Northern Realms typically does love these really long rounds because a lot of their cards, to, what, to Gibby's point, whether they are damaging the opponent or whether they're buffing themselves, they often feed off of, a, like, numbers. They want to say, here's a card that says once per turn you can damage an enemy, and it cools down every three every three turns, but it cools down one less turn for every soldier next to it. Or, you know, it's a mage that says whenever you play another mage, it cools down or whatever. You'll also have a lot of cards with the orders keyword where they come down and they have to wait a turn before they can use this ability where you have, you click on it and you choose a target and you get a cool effect. But if you have another card, another soldier that's going to come in and give it zeal, then you could do it all on the same turn. And so there's a lot of these things where it's multi-card combos. You're getting these uh, from, and we'll talk a little bit more about it because every faction has what's called engines. This is a larger card gaming term in general, but they are cards that are going to be providing value every single turn that they sit on the board. And Northern Realms more so, in my opinion, than any other faction, it has the biggest reliance on engines as well as the most tools to protect and to re-trigger and to you know continually increase the value of their engines making them you know very very potent if they can stick a few cards that are going to keep feeding on each other um so it's definitely one that like you know gibby said this but they're looking to play in a long round and so if you are playing against them push their hand size down as often as possible you know, may, even if you're losing round one, continue playing in round one so that they have to give up their hand size um, so that they'll play round two and round three with less resources and less ability to get these wacky combos off. Yeah. The biggest piece of advice I can give, and then we'll move on to the next faction, is don't let certain things stick, man. You got to m- remove stuff from the board because every one of their cards is going to benefit from the card they already have on the board. 
they just work together. Uh, and I think that that loyalty in the faction and that synergy in the faction is clearer in Northern Realms than anywhere else, right? Like they are yep. a very, very snowball-y faction. Um, mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Now we want to dive into the next faction as well as we're looking. And uh, this is Nilfgaard, which is my second faction. Haven't actually played a game of it yet, but this is the one I really want to get into. Oh, that's great. Yeah. D that's wonderful. DBN, tell me about Nilfgaard. Yeah, I think this is great, Mark, because obviously Gibby is going to be taking two different factions and you're taking two factions and I have the two factions that are my favorites anyway. So I will a little bit, you know, preview Nilfgaard, which I've played some, uh, but I'm glad to hear that you're picking up because it's going to be a very different experience from your the, the primary faction you've been playing. So Nilfgaard is very cool because it's basically the if you can think of like the Holy Roman empire, not like the Roman empire with Caesar, but like the Holy Roman empire, right. With like, um, uh, you know, where everything was ba based the in like Pope. Austria <laughs> and the Pope and all that stuff. Right. Um, so it's kind of like that analog, but with influences of like Renaissance France and Spanish culture. Um, and it is the, like the premier control class. Like there, every class has control, has the ability to play control decks, but this is like all about it. Right. And so this is the uh, the the singular power that is always trying to conquer the northern realms and other areas uh, because they are unified and, and they've assimilated all these cultures and all of the, you know, um, you know, powers and knowledge that of these other places that they've conquered. Um, and that means that they don't have to always just, you know, send soldiers onto the battlefield, although they certainly can. And there are plenty of soldier based cards in these decks, but they also come with spies and mages and alchemists and saboteurs. Um, and so they are all about not just winning by brute force, but, you know, making sure that the enemy is never able to organize uh, a, 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 and mount a true defense. And so that means disrupting the enemy's plans by sabotaging their deck, stealing their cards, turning off their abilities, all of these things that, um, all the things that Northern Realm wants to do, which is set up like all of these, uh, we just talked about them wanting to set up multi-card combos. Well, their worst enemy a lot of times is Nilfgaard because Nilfgaard can come in and take a small, you know, literally steal a low power unit onto their side and say, we're recruiting you, we're paying you off and you're on our side now. Or saying, I'm going to lock down this mage and cancel all their abilities. And if that mage needed to synergize with something else, you can't do it now. They have poison effects where you poison something and if you poison them again, they instantly blow up no matter their power. They have ways to get around those high power units that monsters have. So they're all about controlling. Um, they're all about um, disrupting and, uh, and, and discounting some of the, uh, the cards in their own hand you know, um, being able to say, okay, I can play an extra card from my deck this turn if I play something in this way. Um, so it's really, really cool because there's no mana system in this game, but you have cards that will say, I'm going to bring this card down and he's going to pull another card from my deck out and onto the field. Or I'm going to play this card down. I'm going to steal a card from my opponent's deck to put onto the board or whatever. So there's a lot of shenanigans and goings on uh, with, uh, with Nilfgaard. And I would argue that they have um, you know, even though their main thing is, um, being able to disrupt the enemy, they have some of the most like diverse ways of doing it. 
And a lot of the decks will be based around certain things like applying a spying condition to the enemy, which then allows you to reduce the, you know, effect or reduce the power of cards around the spies, right? Because the spies are, uh, you know, feeding information. You have the ability to, you know, say those cards that you mulligan into your hand, uh, redraw them or I'm going to blow up what's left in your deck so that in later rounds, you won't draw good cards, all sorts of ways to play. And uh, I think that, Mark, you're going to find the experience of Nilfgaard is a complete 180 uh, from Skellige. And, and Mark is going to preview that in the future. Um, I think the key uh, to play against Nilfgaard <laughs> is don't think, don't rely on getting your combos off. Like, understand that you may need to sell your cards a little bit short and say, instead of setting up a four card combo, I'm just going to take a two card combo. And early in the rounds, go ahead and throw out some bait cards that you might look at your hand and say, this would be good if I had these other cards, but I don't. So it doesn't do much. Your opponent will know that. Throw it out there and let that eat the locking effects or the poison effects so that the cards that are of higher value come out after you've seen enough of your opponent's removal. Because they're going to be forced to say, okay, do I use my removal on these early cards my opponent's playing? Or do I hold it back and use it on the things that they're going to play late in the round? And you can take that and see what they're giving you. And that's kind of what it is with Nilfgaard. Take what they're giving you. If they're letting you establish your engines early, then understand my engines are going to go off. I play to those advantages, not to my big gold card finishers. Because those are going to get messed up when I play them. So, you know, um, it's a little bit more advanced. A lot of new players struggle against Nilfgaard. Just be patient. Try to read the cards. Make sure uh, as you're playing through, you take a look at their leader abilities because they have some really, really shifty leader abilities and you want to know <laughs> what that is as you're going into the match. Yeah, awesome. I'm excited to play it. Um, the next faction that we have up is Skellige and that's the one that I'm going to preview. And I'll keep it kind of short and sweet because honestly, I think there's some nuance in it, but there's not as much to know. This is a Norse-themed faction. So you're going to get your Vikings and it also has like a... Uh, a bear abomination sort of subset, which is really fun, um, which sort of have, you know, can kind of channel some of the berserker stuff. Um, and then it also has a mm -hmm. pirate subset of cards, a lot of like sea monsters and sea witches and stuff like that, which I haven't, druids. Uh, druids, I haven't gotten into that as much. Right. But, you know, but picture like a very sort of Scandinavian vibe for all of those things, right? Not like your classic Dungeons and Dragons druid, right? You're going to be, it's a lot more uh, sort of like Scandinavian theme and lore and feel and Viking theme and feel to it. Super fun. Get a lot of boats in it even. There's like a whole bunch of boats that you can get in your deck. Um, and really a lot of what this faction is doing is it's trying to control the board by putting things down on the board, they're going to benefit from other things getting damaged. So you have a lot of things that grow as other stuff gets damaged, a lot of stuff that's going to deal damage and even damage over time to your opponent's things. And then it really does benefit from this ability called Bloodthirst, which basically says when you play this, you get an ability, but you could get a better version of that ability if... Uh, you have a certain number of your opponent's creatures that are already damaged. And that does mean below their initial starting health, not damaged, meaning any amount of damage on them. Some things get boosted. If they're above their initial starting power and health, then, you know, your damage to them isn't going to make them that their number will come up red to show that they're sort of like below their initial starting health. And then a lot of your cards will do really awesome stuff. Like, hey, if you knock out this thing, like if you, if you, 
use a spell on somebody, great. If you kill them, you're going to be able to summon something from your deck, or you're going to be able to summon something from your graveyard. And they are the class with sort of the graveyard mechanic that you might see in other classic you know, card games. Uh, I think Tessel had that in the purple faction. Magic has that in a couple of factions, but primarily the black faction. Um, this is the faction that has some graveyard manipulation. And so the deck that I'm playing has a lot of sort of controlling the board by putting semi-big stuff down, but really damaging and keeping the stuff off of your board um, with a lot of direct damage cards and removal. And then it is sort of gaining extra value by playing cards that pull cards from my graveyard. So I'm getting those cards back and it's almost extending my hand by being able to play some of my cheaper cards that also have removal attached to them. The other thing that Skellige has a lot of that I've noticed that not a lot of other actions have is they have a lot of swing cards. So they have a lot of cards that are going to put a body on the board, but also remove something from your opponent's board or substantially damage something from your opponent's board. They're also the only faction with the veteran ability, which cards with veteran get more powerful as the rounds go on. So my cards with veteran veteran that start with a three by round three are going to be sitting at a five because they're going to go up one power each round. And there's cards that manipulate that and can even throw cards in your graveyard and then boost their veteran ability every round. So you then pull them out of the graveyard later on and they're massive. I think a lot of that stuff is fun. All in all, if you like sort of the Norse theme along with, I think what is a, a healthy blend between, I'm sure, what maybe uh, Nilfgaard does or sort of controlly uh, factions do, along with what Monsters does, which is put big bodies on the board that aren't going to be super easy to deal with. I feel like this does both of them. It's really interactive if you run sort of the pirate raid cards, which honestly kind of like viking raid cards too i run a lot of those in my deck that are just like direct hey deal four damage but if you have bloodthirst two deal six damage and it's like okay i get some guys that are damaged on the board then i drop my bombs or like hey deal seven damage um but if you have three things damaged on their board completely remove an enemy from the game and you just kill stuff um and there's all sorts of stuff like that that's also going to benefit from you dishing out the damage cards that come onto the battlefield. And then there's also a self-damage mechanic uh, in it that I haven't really gotten into. Sort of the bear faction is all about that, like the bear element to it. All of the bears want to take a certain amount of damage, and once they get down so far, they sort of enrage and trigger abilities. And so there's a lot in this this uh, faction, too, that's about damaging your own things. Now, I've never been a huge fan of damaging your own things in card games. Didn't really like that in Root Terror. I haven't liked that in other games. But I freaking love graveyard mechanics, and sort of like the manipulation of the board state by putting cards down that add a body and remove something. And I love the theme because I love Viking themes. So all of that to say, real big fan of of the Skellige stuff. Um, and I think I gave that a pretty good rap outside of uh, if you're playing pirates, they have a lot of storm abilities, um, which are going to allow you to affect entire uh, lanes on your opponent's board and deal damage to the creatures uh, and minions that are on those over time. Um, but yes, really, really love Skellige. I, I, I literally can't get enough of it. I just keep playing game after game of Skellige. I was going to say, I think that it reminds this, this to me has like the most like of traditional RP or uh, traditional CCGs, like mid range, right? Where you are doing a blend of establishing your own things, your own proactive plays and doing reactive plays to disrupt or uh, feed some of these other things. So you're killing things that are problems for your 
that are that are your opponents are setting up, but you're also setting up your own things. And there's a lot of uh, give and take in Skellige and most of these decks where it's like, okay, I could play this engine of mine or I can eliminate the engine of theirs. And the longer I don't set up my engines, the less value I'm getting on them. But the longer I allow my opponent to have the engines, the more value they're getting from them. And, and weighing those things every single turn is like a, a big thing that a lot of Skellige decks do, whereas Northern Realms typically plays their own game. You know, mm. and, um, you know, uh, uh, Nilfgaard plays the enemy's game. They're always just messing with the enemy uh, for the most part. And so there's there's a nice, uh, yeah, a, like a mid-rangey blend. It reminds me of uh, mid-battle mage from Tessel. Um, and, and I think uh, there's a lot to love there. So, yeah, what's next on the list? Uh, the next one on the list is, let me take a look here. Um, I did. Oh, this one's a Gibby one. Uh, Gibby, you're going to be telling us a little bit about the Syndicate faction, and then DBN's going to wrap it up, and we're going to close up the show. Absolutely, Syndicate. Do you like crime? Have you thought about being a congressman that takes bribes? <laughs> Have you avoided paying your taxes for four years? Then Syndicate is the faction for you. <laughs> it is all about crime, and it is all about money. It is very i don't want to say straightforward because at a high level from an overview that we were given early early on by dbn it is a very complicated faction to play it is a really hard one to master um but with the initial deck that you get it's quite deceiving because as as dbn mentioned it's really just about learning the coin mechanic which is unique to syndicate so you have an extra resource counter that you played with in syndicate which is building coins. And the way you do that, there's a couple key keywords that you work around being um, uh, so profit, which gives you coins. That's how many coins a card will give you uh, tribute, which is paying a certain number of coins upon playing a unit to get a certain ability. And then fee, which is an an ability similar to tribute where you can pay coins in order to get an ability, but you can do it later on after the unit's been established on the board for quite for for a turn or two or some time. Um, and by building these coins and monitoring how much you have in your stack, you can build up to nine coins at any time. Uh, and when you carry coins over from round to round, they get cut in half. So you don't maintain nine coins. If you've got nine coins at the end of round one, you will go down to half of that um, at the end of round two. I don't remember if it rounds up or rounds down. I haven't paid that close of attention, but you do have a, a lower number of coins, but it's about balancing this extra resource to try to build up your coins to then use them to pay off almost like as if you were using a bribe. Like it's corrupt clergymen and all sort of pirates and gang bosses and crime lords and all sorts of other nefarious uh, personnel that want to use this money to throw influence in the direction that they see fit um there are quite a few different uh decks here you can play swarm decks with certain tokens um or you can kind of use it as also as another combo faction just to to get certain um units off their abilities or or bolster your board by paying on abilities that you've got on existing units on the board so syndicate very high level uh, a lot of different directions you can take on it but it's all around the coins yeah, one of the things if you queue up into Syndicate, there's a lot of different ways that they can use the coins. Gibby mentioned like fees and stuff like that. There's also like Horde where they just want to hold on to as much money as possible. And so a lot of pirates are like, okay, we, we're not actually spending the money. We're just hoarding it on our ships, right? Um, and so there's easier ways to play it. Like a lot of the Horde decks are very 
you know, beginner friendly because you just have to accumulate that amount of money and then just don't spend it. Right. Um, but there's obviously a lot of things that want to throw all of that stuff um, away uh, and just keep refilling on it. Um, and one thing I'll say uh, on Syndicate is if you're playing against Syndicate, the it, it can feel overwhelming because they're just, oh, they're getting this money, then they're spending it, they're getting more, and then they're spending it. And it feels like, wow, this is, you know, what do I do? And the, the main thing is, to an extent, there's no way you'll be able to completely stop them from making and spending this resource. That's what their deck is designed to do. However, you can slow things down by identifying the cards that are on the board and determine if they have repeated value. The engines for Syndicate are come in one of two forms. They are uh, earners and spenders. And so if you look at a card on the board and say, get a coin every turn, that's a card you might want to target. If there's a card similarly that says fee, Every spend two and summon a, a you know angry mob person. Okay, well that's going to get them value for the rest of the game. The longer it sticks around, and the more coins they get rid of. So targeting cards that are earners and spenders and are providing value across multiple turns is significantly more important than targeting the high power units that they have individually. If they summon a nine power unit, but it doesn't have an effect, yeah, it's contributing a lot of points at the end of the round. But they're going to get us so many more points if you don't mess with their earners and spenders. So, yeah, yeah, and there and, and you can have some cards that even combo on the same turn that that make you a coin and then automatically spend that coin to do an ability automatically just at the end of round turn effects or even in the mid game. Like mm-hmm. you've got quite a variety of different lead leader abilities in this faction as well that all play around the different coins. So, uh, quite a bit of deck building options that are that that still center around that key theme of building that coin resource um so we're wrapping around here to our last faction dbn why don't you tell us about scoyatel if i pronounced that right yeah i believe you did uh scoyatel is one of my favorite factions it's one of the two that i i sort of main so to speak um uh from a thematic perspective it's sort of this loose alliance of non-humans uh in the witcher universe a lot of non-humans have been sort of uh you know pushed out of their um you know, indigenous uh, homelands and uh, are typically sort of uh, subject to a lot of, you know, racial mistreatment. Um, if you ever played like, obviously, if you've played Witcher, you know this, but it, even if you've ever played like uh, Dragon Age, it's a very similar thing. Um, so you got a lot of elves and dwarves, dryads, gnomes and the like, uh, which are sort of this, this weird loose alliance to sort of reclaim some of their, um, you know, ancestral uh magic and artifacts and all that sort of stuff um and so they have this very like uh you know almost like a sporadic theme where like they do work off of each other but the dwarves do their own thing and the elves do their own thing and while there's some overlap um you know there what's what's interesting to see is like okay the elves are often wanting to boost their own um, you know, boost the cards that are already in their hand, or maybe the the elves want to, um, you know, um, uh, move people back and forth. But there's some dwarves that want to stack up a bunch of armor, but then there's a few dwarves that want to move people back and forth between lanes. And so in that way, some of the dwarves can work with some of the elves, but you could also play in a different way. You could put all of the elves together and do a tribal elf deck and all of the dwarves together and do a tribal dwarf deck and they'll get benefits in that way. So it's, it's an odd scenario and where all of these different sort of tribal tags both do and don't work together, depending on how much you want to invest in them. Um, 
in my mind, this is one of the ultimate like shenanigans classes. You've got uh, a very unique thing where like they do a lot of uh, ambushing sort of in the lore. Right. And so you have trap cards, special, you know, every every class has access to some artifacts, which are basically like lingering passive effects on the field. They're not contributing points, but they're contributing cool effects. They have a lot of artifacts, some of which are traps where you turn them face down and your opponent doesn't know what they are until a certain condition is met or until you choose to trigger them manually. It's, I got on the nose <laughs> trapped by those a couple of times, not knowing what they were. They're very, very cool. Um uh, they have all sorts of you know mechanics, like I mentioned, hand buffing, row swapping, traps, tribal tech bonuses. Um, they even have a, a cool mechanic called harmony, right? Which is where uh, every time you play a, a creature type, so like let's say you know human, elf, dryad, gnome, beast, whatever. Every time you play a creature type that isn't already on the board, all of the cards with harmony get a boost. Um, and so like, you can almost play this, like, you know, world peace deck <laughs> where you're just trying to get everybody to get along. You know what I mean? Um, they have treants and nature magic and all sorts of cool stuff like that. Um, that definitely feels very modular. And so you'll have both decks that are all in on a certain mechanic and also decks that are like, you know, doing a little bit of everything in a way that feels very like, you know, just a, a good, a pile of good stuff. So, um, fantastic mix of both proactive and reactive styles jack of all trades faction in my opinion where i I think like they don't have the best control but they have very good control they don't have the best swarm but they have very good swarm so you can do a lot of different things with scoyatel um and i think when you're playing against it it can feel really tough to figure out what they're doing which is their the advantage of playing scoyatel is that even you know, you'll have a an elf deck that's all about traps, but you can actually potentially play it with a couple different of the leader abilities. It's not as telegraphed as some of the other factions. Sometimes it is, but you know, you might have a harmony deck that actually uses a um, you know, a precision strike leader ability, or a harmony deck that uses the dedicated harmony ability, or one that does does the hand buffing. Because, like I mentioned, the packages of cards that 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 are being used for, like, if you're playing a harmony deck with the elf package, right? You might choose to use the elves that do damage, or you might choose to use the elves that do traps, or you might choose to use the elves that do hand buffing. Um, and so, it, like I said, it feels very modular, and I think there's a ton to unpack there, especially from a deck building perspective. So, um, if you're interested in playing something that gives you a lot of, you know, multiple uses for some of these cards, um, it definitely feels like it. At times, it can be kind of an expensive faction to buy into um because like you're pulling a lot of things from a lot of different things and every deck that you see is going to choose a different sort of package or even a lot of different golds get traded in and out of the list and so if you're just going off a list you see online it can feel overwhelming because you're like wait wait but this deck uses completely different three gold cards in the sort of mid-range provision cost which ones do i use um but I think that that is also what makes the faction so rewarding to invest in um if you're playing against it just do your best to figure out what they're doing. <laughs> um, because really, if you can't figure out what synergies they're playing off of um, in round one, you're not going to be able to stop them in rounds two and three because you won't know how to, what which cards to answer. So um, yeah, Scoyatel, very cool faction. Like I said, Jack of all trades, sometimes a master of none. But at the end of the day, what matters is, are you able to put your things together in a way that your opponents aren't able to disrupt? And they do a good job of, diversifying and a lot of you know sort of uh toolboxing to support that 
Awesome. Awesome. Wonderful. Well, Mark, you want to wrap I this up? I think I can, man. Uh, so I think that we've given you a pretty good look. There's so much about this game that we haven't actually got to, to knock on the door of. Things like the shop, what you should buy, what you shouldn't buy. Um, I'll just say this. Check it out. There is a faction pack for each faction. If you want to get into one that's five bucks, there's a starter pack that you can get for five bucks. There's an ultimate starter pack for 35 bucks. Uh, and then even beyond that, if you go into the shop, I think you can buy... Uh, at least on the one that I was on, you could get the PVE expansion for the game. Thronebreaker. Uh, yeah, Thronebreaker. And mine was on sale for like six dollars. Um don't so. get the uh don't get the mage uh single player expansion, because to my knowledge, it doesn't actually give you any cards for the multiplayer thing. It's just a fun sort of roguelike alternate game mode. Okay. But if you get Thronebreaker, I believe it does give you maybe double check this because it used to maybe they changed it since last time, but it does give you a bunch of cards for each faction, including a legendary for each faction um, for your main account. Well, that would be interesting. I'll have to check that out because um, I do want to play. But, but the Thronebreaker Thronebreaker game is in the story, both the story and the uh, um, the actual battling and everything is fantastic. It's so good. Awesome. Well, listen, guys, check all that stuff out and let us know what you're thinking about Gwen. We're loving it and we're going to be playing it, talking about it over the next three weeks. We're talking about building a collection next week and giving you some advice and thoughts on that, along with our explorations in the game of Gwent. And then uh, we'll be diving into some strategy and gameplay after that. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to this first episode about Gwent, the Witcher card game. We appreciate you listening in with us and taking this journey with us for season four over the course of 2023. But that's going to wrap up this episode. Thanks for tuning in and listening and be sure to come back again next week thanks for listening to this episode of legends cast you can join our podcast community by joining discord using the link in the description of this episode you can become a supporter of the show by visiting patreon.com slash camp legend and don't forget to check out all of the other shows in the camp legend podcast network 